Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. If you're an ambitious woman who wants to dominate your career, then you are in the right place. This podcast is co-hosted by Nikki Barua, digital innovator, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And Monica Marquez, ex-Googler, diversity expert, and senior corporate leader. From inspiring stories to cutting-edge strategies, you'll learn how to develop the skill set, mindset, and tool set to get future-ready fast and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. How are you responding to the massive uncertainty caused throughout this world by this pandemic? Do you feel paralyzed by fear and anxiety? Are you walking on eggshells but trying really hard to hold it all together? Our guest today is artist and innovator and my dear friend Sheila Darcy. Sheila's experience as a facilitator and coach and her work with Fortune 500 companies has informed her understanding of what drives transformative growth in individuals and teams. Three years ago, in her quest for a self-care practice as a coping mechanism for stress and anxiety, Sheila made a personal commitment to sketch every single day. This daily practice became a catalyst for her transformation and led to Sketch Poetic, a movement for those feeling burdened by the desire for change, but blocked by fear and doubt. So if you feel an evolution stirring within and are looking for transformation, stay tuned and learn how Sheila uses creative expression as a tool for self-reflection, self-care, and healing. Sheila is on a mission to share the sketch poetic practice with the world and to help others find their own way. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Sheila. Hi, Sheila. I'm so excited to have you on the show. This is um, personally really, really, really special for me because um, you are not only one of my closest friends, but you are also one of the wisest. And now I get the privilege of sharing your wisdom and all of your awesomeness with the rest of the world. So I'm so grateful and so excited to have this conversation with you today, especially given what's going on in the world and the kind of perspective that you can bring. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm so honored. And it is a full circle moment. I feel like people are going to get a chance to listen and be a fly on the wall on the types of conversations you and I have all the time. So I'm really grateful to have this platform to share it. Absolutely. Well, we'll just have to uh, make sure that uh, we draw that fine line of the things we can share and the things that have to stay between us. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's probably a five-minute podcast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, um, let's start off with uh, helping our uh, listeners getting to know you because you have this incredibly unique background where you've had this uh, you know, 20-year career in consulting and corporate, and you're a senior executive, but you're also a very accomplished artist. And it's one of those things that so many of us struggle with, of needing to pick a lane and feeling like if you're on one side, that maybe your heart's on the other side, but you don't know quite how to integrate it all. And uh, you know, I'm curious about your journey of what it was like before what it was like during the process where you may have tried to figure out a way to integrate it and then what is it like now? So take us on that journey. Tell us your story. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great starting point. I am very proud of the career I had in the corporate space and I still have a career in it. But what I observed and what I noticed when the genesis of Sketch Poetic came to be is I was what I call the height of my career. I was in a position that I'd always thought I would get to. Uh, there were a lot of stresses and a lot of weight. There was a lot of weight on my shoulders on, on being successful in that role that basically was a tipping point for me. So I was in this position where I was really looking to succeed and it was coinciding with this anxiety and this fear that I was having flying and the role itself did require some travel and I actually tried to do all I can to avoid it. And that was part of the thing that was coming up for me was this, this tension between wanting to succeed in a role and not listening to what my inner voice and my, what was happening inside of me, which was all this turmoil and this frenetic energy and this nervousness. And then one day it just came to a head and I, I 
I'm embarrassed to share the story, but it's actually an important crux to what happened with me. I was going to see an acupuncturist and I went to the ATM to get money. And when I went to go pay the acupuncturist, I realized I left the money in the ATM machine. And that was one of the lows, not because of the money itself, which was a pretty big deal, but I had gotten to a point where I was so not present in my life. I was so busy worrying about how to solve the business problems, how to be the best person in, in the role I could be, that I consumed myself with work. And what ended up happening is I just got to a point where I'm like, what happened in my life where my personal values and my beliefs were so misaligned to how I was presenting myself to the world? And so what I ended up doing is I thought, I've got to address this, this constant ache in my heart of this, this frenetic energy that I seem to be unable to avoid. And so I decided to do something daily that would help me address that. And so I remember do, in the 90s, I did a book called The Artist's Way. Are you familiar with that book? No, I'm not. Yeah. So it's this book by Julia Cameron. And part of it is she encouraged you to do morning pages. Mm. And, and morning pages, basically, she encourages you to do three pages a day. Don't think, just write, and then you're done. Mm. Uh, but because the feelings I was having were things that were hard for me to articulate, Nikki, I was like, I'm struggling with the fact that I have to write it. I really wanted to do something that didn't require words. And I remembered as a child that I would, anytime I was feeling darkness or discomfort, or I was feeling sad and I couldn't tell anyone because I was so shy, I would sketch or I would draw, I would paint and I would lose myself in it. And I remembered that and I, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to commit to creating something daily. And I bought a sketchbook and I, I basically thought, you know what, how do I hold myself accountable for doing this? And I decided I would start an Instagram account. And that Instagram account was really my way, because I was a digitally minded person, it would be my way of holding myself accountable because I would see a time, a time and day stamp that said I would do it daily. So when I started doing that um, daily posting and I created the word sketch of my brand or my, I guess my pseudonym, Sketch Poetic, I didn't do it with any intention of growing a community. It was truly a simple goal of sketching my emotions daily and allowing myself to process and feel it all. And what ended up happening is it went from what I call a daily practice to a spiritual one because my life transformed every day that I did it. I started to observe my inner world and my inner thoughts. And then because of that, I was able to give myself permission to sit in all of the discomfort that I had been avoiding all of my life. And so that's kind of the genesis of Sketch Poetic, but I wanted to pause here and see if there's any part of that resonated with you or you wanted to explore further. Well, I think you pretty much summed up what um, so many people, especially women, probably have felt at some point in their life, you know, that inner tension of um, meeting expectations, whether there's someone else's expectations that we assume uh, mm-hmm. about ourselves or our own that we place on ourselves yeah. that leads us to become so disconnected uh, and divorced from our real selves. Yeah. And uh, often that struggle doesn't get resolved because yeah. you don't have a mechanism to resolve it. And I think it's so incredible that your daily practice of sketching um, and the practice rather than the outcome of it is is what became the bridge for you to get on the other side. So I, I think that's incredible and so inspiring. Yeah, and the, the critical part of this, Nikki, that I, I want to make sure your audience is aware is why this practice was so transformative. So when I understood what anxiety was, and this is through speaking with a therapist, and I had actually avoided therapy all my life, so that was a big deal for me. She described anxiety in a way I'd never heard before, and it was more of how it shows up in your body. And so I think this will resonate with everyone, given what's happening in the world today. She described anxiety as a grenade. And imagine that grenade, you throw it in a house, right? And when the grenade explodes, the house explodes with it because the energy of the grenade blows up everything to pieces. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you throw the grenade in the middle of a desert. It jumps but the air, the power of it just dissipates into thin air. And she said, anxiety is that grenade in your body and your body is the house. Mm -hmm. So every time you are 
feeling that power of that anxiety, you're housing it in your body. And so your body is shaking or you're having shortness of breath. And so your body's actually carrying all of that energy and you're not releasing it. And then the second part of it is what creates that grenade? Well, part of a big part of it is emotions you're not, re- not releasing. So she shared with me that what are the emotions that you're not sharing or ex- releasing or expressing, Sheila? And when we were talking, everything connected back to my childhood. My entire childhood, um, up until I was probably 13, was full of volatility, uncertainty. Um, I grew up in a, uh, with an alcoholic father, so there was a lot of uh, unknowns of when he would flare, uh, when the violence would occur. And then I had my mother who was always trying to protect me, and so she would send me to my room. And in that, I would hear the sounds of the the violence and the commotion. And what I didn't realize until I started sketching Nikki is that I'd always had an uncomfortable relationship with silence and I couldn't figure out why. It was why I'd had, I always was on the go. You've known me for a very long time. And I, I was really, I really had a hard time being present with myself. And it's because mm-hmm. when I would go to my room and I would hear the, the, the ruckus and the violence, violence and the noises, it wasn't until it stopped that I wasn't aware of whether or not my mother was alive or dead. And I know that's a really harsh and a horrible story to hear, but it is so powerful to understand that when the moment of silence occurred, I would actually remember that memory and that Mm. was attached with it. So unbeknownst to me, unconsciously, when I went throughout my life and things got silent, my memory and my unconscious would always remember that moment. And that's what's happening in the world today. We aren't just experiencing COVID. We aren't just experiencing isolation today. It's actually reminding us and making us remember the times we've actually felt this before. Mm. And that's hard for people to understand. And un- incredibly uncomfortable. You know, the oh, period yeah. of first coming to terms with it is uh, incredibly uh, uncomfortable of saying, you know, this is new. This is not my usual life of being constantly connected to technology or having this, you know, uh, stimulation from all kinds of sounds and uh, images and interactions. This is sort of like you're cut off. You have not a whole lot to do and you can leave. It's such an incredible metaphor for you just got to stay in your spot and deal. Um, So, you know, since you brought up the pandemic, you know, let's talk about that. I mean, it's really stunned the world and um, completely stalled our way of life. And um, there's an incredible amount of stress and anxiety that people are feeling and expressing outwardly as well. Um, You and I have both been through several traumatic experiences throughout our lives and we've developed the tools uh, to know how to go through it. Give us some guidance on, you know, how someone can uh, deal with what they're feeling right now. Uh, I will first caveat, Nikki, that there is no one answer to any person. It's so personal and I I do want to honor that. However, one of the things that helped me understand is that my relationship with emotions, while uncomfortable, has really shifted. And this is maybe the very first thing I would share with the audience that I hope helps them get through this. So all emotions are here to guide us. And for a long time, I would put emotions in categories of good and bad. So joy is good. Anger is bad. Happiness is good. Sad is bad, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I would put them in categories is not only because of the external judgment I felt but the the key part of it is the expressions that I the emotions that I saw on the bad category were actually expressed in my childhood in negative ways. So I'm going to go back to my father. My father expressed anger in a negative way through violence. Therefore, as a child, I associated that emotion as bad. I never saw healthy expressions of anger. And therefore, in my life and even in the business world, anytime somebody expressed their anger, I would immediately get small. I would try to appease and please and put everyone at ease because it would. I was re- recollecting and going back to my natural tendency of fear. 
and trying to find safety in their volatility. When it just when, becomes when, a trigger, right? Yes, trigger, absolutely. So what the biggest p- thing that I hope people understand as they're going through this pandemic is that every emotion right now is there to guide you and it is very uncomfortable, but do not categorize it as good or bad because it's, the al- it's where it's taking you that will eventually lead you to growth, to transformation, to learning, to healing, to insight. So in the other side of anxiety is actually anticipation. Anticipate the goodness. Anticipate the lesson. Anticipate all the incredible things that you will learn from this experience. And the incredible things could be as simple as anytime you suffer in the future, you'll actually be better prepared. Anytime you go through tribulations in the future, you will be able to bounce back faster. So not all lessons are always going to be this rose, you know, rose-colored, uh, you know, Pollyanna type of perspective. It's actually learning to be resilient and learning to be adaptive, learning to help, learning to be able to quickly get back up when somebody kicks you down. And honestly, sometimes being able to sit still in the sadness, in the grief, in all of the messy emotions you're feeling, and being okay—that to me is success. And that has been the biggest lesson, Nikki, I've learned. I have been so driven academically and performance-wise to define my success based on external things. But Mm -hmm. for the first time in my life, I feel so happy when I'm at peace when hardships come, when I'm at peace when darkness appears, because I've never had that feeling before. And that's what's happened with me when I started to really look inward as things outside of me started getting out of control. Yeah, it's the strive for that inner stillness because um, we fill our lives with so much noise that it's impossible to hear the inner voice at all. Um, And that's what takes us away from our North Star of knowing what's uh, really true to yourself and instead of being guided by expectations that external or um, even your own judgment and criticism of yourself. Well, I love that you said the word judgment. I think that's an important part of this conversation. If you are a person right now that is spinning, that is spiraling out of control, that is in despair, the last thing I want them to feel is judgment. That is by no means any less of an emotion than somebody that is persevering. The reality is I want to make sure that person that is spiraling, that is in despair, understands that it is natural to be in that place and that there is a part of you that you're grieving because it is an experience that you never expected to have and it is changing you. And that's a part of this conversation that I don't think people understand in terms of an un, it's kind of like a collateral damage. Mm-hmm. is how we grieve who we were before any of this happened, right? There, it's also in the becoming of yes. who we are then becoming as a result of, you know, the old us. Um, yes, exactly. You know, and, and, and it's an important part of the conversation because that's going to change the dynamic of your relationships as well. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your family or your coworkers, listen, after, after this all settles and we don't know how long it will be, people are going to feel a little bit heavier. Some people, by the way, are completely the opposite. I mean, we talked about the introverts and the people that actually love being at home and, and love having their family around a lot more. Children are thriving. So not everything is doom and gloom by any means. If anything, I'm hearing the opposite. I'm hearing a lot of incredible stories. But the stories where we're hearing the despair are the people that are having to let go of their employees, the people are losing their jobs and don't know if they can pay their rent. Those are the types of stories that are happening in contrast to the other stories of uh, people that are thriving in this, in this environment of this kind of like pause of life, what it seems like is happening for some people. Um, a lot of people haven't had a chance to just be at home mm-hmm. by design, right? They've been forced to be in isolation, but I can tell you right now, I've had many conversations with other moms and uh, dads that are like, oh my God, I haven't had this much time home in years and it feels so good. Yeah, there's there's a conflict and duality in all of it. Mm -hmm. I have had the same experience over the last few weeks of um, some folks that are just so grateful for this time and they're rediscovering old interests and hobbies and reconnecting with people that they hadn't spoken to because they were too busy. And 
just taking the time to pause. It's almost like the universe hit a giant like mindfulness <laughs> retreat yeah. for everybody. And, and uh, you know, it's almost like the best time of their lives that got forced upon them. And on the other hand, I've also had a lot of conversations with people whose lives and businesses have completely fallen apart. And most importantly, the identity of themselves has mm -hmm. been shattered to bits. And that's the hard part of our relationship to fear of ultimately the fear of losing something that's precious to us, you know, whether it's tangible or intangible or the fear of pain of that transformation or the fear of, um, you know, the, uh, outcome of that, that the yeah. result is going to be something that we won't like. But so much of it is just fear versus like the reality of mm. uh, the experience. Because when you've gone through it, um, day by day, there are ways to get through it. You know, it's just that when we anticipate a negative outcome, yeah, it's just so much harder. Well, part of it too, I mean, going back to anxiety, what is the definition? It's the fear of the unknown, right? So part of the reason creative expression is so powerful of a tool for people is you are tapping into your imagination and using it and focusing it in a positive way. So if you've ever experienced traumatic experiences or have had horrible things happen to you, when you're in fear, our imagination is used for the negative. We go through worst case scenarios. We go through what is the, like truly we play out in our heads like a movie. What is the worst thing that could happen? And guess what? Our body and mind, they don't know that it's in our imaginations playing. It actually, <laughs> it actually processes everything as if it's really happening. So if I'm thinking about the possibility of losing my child, right? If I'm thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen to her and what would be the worst thing that could happen to us if that happened, my body and my mind is already acting like it's happening. So here we are already creating these physical stresses. And so we're programming ourselves to be in this constant state of fight, flight, or freeze, which is the whole neuroscience behind why creative expression, meditation, all of the practices where they have you in that flow state of stillness, why it's so beneficial because it does it doesn't serve anyone any good to imagine or to think about what could be when it has not happened mm -hmm. it is smart to think about them as risks but to play it out in your head like a movie it hurts us so when i i knew i did that i would be one of those people that played out worst case scenarios so instead if i for example if i'm starting my sketch today and i'm feeling fear of, of losing my job, as an example, I will allow myself, instead of playing out all the scenarios that could happen if that happened, I would just sit in that fear of losing my job, and I will use my imagination to visualize what the feeling of that fear looks like. And so I'm, in, I'm actually tricking my brain, in essence, to think of it in a more positive light versus going down a rabbit hole of darkness, which can just continue further down. That's why people right. So it's you're shifting uh, the focus of your mind and a body with literally a physical practice yes, um, exactly. instead of the imaginary one. I want to dig into something you said a little uh, bit ago, which is use the term creative expression. Mm -hmm. Tell yeah. me more about that and how that's different from art. Yeah, thank you for asking that. It's such an important part for me whenever I talk about sketch poetic. So first of all, I am an artist and I do create art, but it's not the why behind why I do it. Creative expression is the embodiment of the purpose and mission of the work. I did not go into this trying to create beautiful things. I did not go into it trying to reclaim the artist within. That is the outcome and it's certainly a positive outcome, but I did it for the simple reason that I had all these emotions that were so heavy emotions that I had been repressing and suppressing, and I couldn't figure out a way to release it in a way that felt naturally aligned to who I was. And because art had always been a passion and love of mine, which by the way, I neglected for 20 years. And that's an important part of the conversation. I neglected it for 20 years. I might've picked up a pen and paper here and there. I might've done a sketch or a painting here and there, but I almost, not just neglected it, but I almost turned a blind eye to this part of myself that was so core to who I was. And so it's really important that creative expression is seen as that because I'm expressing an emotion, but the creative part covers many different tools. So one of the things you and I have talked about are what are those tools? 
And so visual art is one. So that could be painting, sketching, it could be sculpting, but there's also singing. There's also uh, music, uh, whether that's playing an instrument, using your vocal, vocal cords. Um, it could also be um, cooking. Some people cook, cook and they do gardening. Those are all creative expressions. So what I want people to come out of this conversation with today is when we were children, we all had a creative outlet. I don't care how intellectual you were, how, how uh, geeky or you, know, you were, you had a creative expression and it, mm -hmm. it showed up in different ways. The problem is as we get older and as we become more responsible, it's the very first thing we let go of because we don't see value in it because the world has told us that it is defined by external validation. And that's why I have a hard time describing what I do as art because mm -hmm. if I put it in that bucket there are so many preconceived assumptions that people have on that word. Like I said, uh, even as children, we were critiqued and judged based on a grade of whether or not it was art. We were told by our parents, you know what, you can't make a living as an artist, so mm -hmm. why don't you give it up? So we have all these inner narratives with that word. It's so loaded. And so it's partially a personal perspective on the purpose and mission of my work. But second, secondly, it is truly a recognition of how loaded the practice of art has become in the world to where people have taken the joy out of it and the freedom and the liberation people can feel by just expressing it. And that's why I call it creative expression and why that's, it's a therapeutic thing. That's so beautiful. And I love that um, by defining it that way and really focusing on the process as opposed to the outcome, um, it's an incredible way to take the judgment and the um, expectation out of it where you're doing it for the pure joy and nothing more. Um, well, I'm going to say something, Nikki, and it's going to make you smile because you and I work together at a company called Beyond Curious. Yeah. One of the biggest things that com combats inner critic and judgment is curiosity. Mm. So the other reason I call it creative expression, creative expression is every day when I sketch, I go in with, it with a curiosity about this emotion, this feeling. Uh, yesterday, I was feeling gratitude. And I, and I didn't just feel gratitude. I was thinking, wow, why do, I feel, why do I feel grateful? Where is that showing up in my life? How is it showing up in my body? How am I expressing it? Behave so I was asking all these questions. And as I was asking the questions, I would just sketch. So I wasn't focused on what was on the paper. I was allowing myself to be curious about the emotion. And so what it did, and by the way, this is super powerful with any, any emotion. If you can understand why you're feeling it and how it shows up and asking all these questions, you actually forget about what it looks like. And, the, and so that's the very first thing I feel is the transformative nature of the practice is when I can get people and through, whether it's through one-on-one -on -one sessions or workshops, if I can get people to forget what it looks like and start to think about the why, how, what, whatever these questions they may have around the emotion, I've already done my job in terms of what I can do to help them get out of that mode. So that's why it's so powerful is the curiosity kills the inner critic. Curiosity kills the judgment because if you go in with curiosity, there's no space for that. Mm -hmm. I can totally relate. Well, even, uh, you know, the, um, judgment that we tend to attach or the world tends to attach to the idea of art, the word art, and what can come out of that, whether you're a good artist, whether you can make a living and things like that. It truly, you know, if you give into that, it can completely kill your curiosity and your natural inclinations and, and desire to simply create for the joy of it. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, you know, much like yours, um, of having repressed that for a long time, I think, Writing has been that to me, but I still remember being told as, a, you know, a young child and, and uh, even through school and college of how you can't really make a living, you know, as a writer. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, it's, uh, it's not a career that people aspire to, right? You got to have some bigger ambition and do bigger things and more responsible things. And I think mm -hmm. that conditioning, you know, over time, we just start replacing that passion and the pursuit of that yeah. with things that feel more grown up like uh, and yet the very things that take us away from you know the things we're naturally gifted are uh, yeah take us back to where we started yeah no absolutely and the other word that keeps on coming up for me is play 
Mm. You know, we don't play enough. And I'm not saying that it's just a generalization, but if more, more adults played uh, in a way that felt so aligned to who they were as children and granted a lot of children. And, and I wanted to just digress here for a second because it, I had an experience at a prison, Kern Valley prison that is related to what I'm about to say. And I take, I took it for granted that I played as a child. But when I met these men, one of the things that struck me most was there were number of them that said I, they'd never picked up a crayon before. They'd never picked up a pencil because their lives were so full of just constant trauma. And so I say all of this and I caveat it because I don't know what the background of your audience is and what they've been through. So I don't take it for granted. Not, not every child had an opportunity to play, but it's never too late. Mm-hmm. But how does someone bring that um, part of themselves back to life? Because uh, even you admittedly repressed you know, yeah. that creative side of you for a long time. I did the same thing for a long time. Um, and that's very typical, especially for women professionals that are ambitious and want to be high achieving, you know, in their career. Um, there's, a, there's a creative side, but it does tend to get repressed or ignored. Yeah. You know, it's not, sometimes it's not active repression. It's just not even being aware that you're ignoring it. What, what is, um, you know, how did you kind of bring that back or what can someone do in that situation? Yeah, I will have to answer it in a very personal way because each person is different. So I will just share my perspective and lesson that I've learned in the three years I've been doing this. I have realized that it's part conditioning. So my Asian culture, on top of the fact that I had a traumatic childhood and being a good girl was my way to cope. And when I say good girl, it wasn't just about being polite, courteous, I was supposed to be seen, not heard. I wanted to make sure that nobody, um, I didn't make anyone uncomfortable or I wasn't disruptive to anyone's life. And I would get straight A's. I mean, every checkbox that I'm sure a lot of people listening to this call can relate to. The the challenge with that though, and this is a huge epiphany I had recently, is the, the dotted line that we don't realize is that we have to have all the answers. And so when you're playing, you don't have an answer. It is truly improvisation at its best. When you're playing there, yeah, you can play a game that has rules, but even then you have to improvise on how to to score a goal. But the challenge with being so performance and academically focused and being the person that does everything for everyone and being a selfless person is that you don't realize you're programming yourself to have the answers all the time. And even if you don't have the answers, you're seeking the answers. And even if when you're seeking at the end of that, the answer is you don't know, the act of seeking is still a doing. And so your entire life is conditioned to be doing, seeking, being, and having something at the end to attach to. And that's the, that's the part that is at conflict with play and imagination and creativity. It's not, it's not, the, um, it's not the, the work. It's not the context in which we live. It's our mindset around it. So what has shifted for me is as I think about my day-to-day life, I don't feel like I have to have all the answers. So when my daughter comes to me and she asks me, hey, can you help me with this homework? I don't need to push her to think she has to have the answers. So instead we go, we, we talk about, well, why, why are you struggling with it? And it's okay for you to struggle with it. Just because you are a straight A student, it's okay that you're struggling. And in the past, I would have been the mother that said, you know what? you have the answer, sweetie. You just need some time, right? Mm-hmm. And that was a huge epiphany for me. And how many times do you do that each day where somebody comes to you and calls you and says, I need some advice and you feel like you need to have the answer. And so there's this constant duality and conflict of, of anxiety being associated with having to know and see and be everything for everyone. And when you can let go of that, honestly, playing is actually a, an outcome when you let go and surrender to that, that conflict. That's beautiful. Um, let's talk about being a mom and <laughs> what the experience is like, um, you know, for so many women, especially when it comes to this constant juggle and, um, you know, carrying a level of guilt from one part of their lives to another. Um, and so much of what you have practiced and, 
um, you know, the wisdom you've gained from it is going to be powerful for them to understand ways to reconcile things for themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'd say being a parent is in is the act of constantly forgiving yourself, thinking you have to be perfect. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, uh, I'll, I'll give you two answers. One is a spiritual answer and another one is a, a more forgiving answer. But the spiritual answer is there are times when I look at my daughter at an age where I experience really traumatic experiences. So she, right now she's 12 and I know this will continue on. But as I mentioned in the beginning of this call, I experienced a lot of trauma from the ages of birth to 13. So she's getting to the, the age now where she's surpassing that. But there were ages when she was seven, nine, four, and I would look at her body, her mind, her face. And I, I mean, it's emotional to think about it. But I would look at her and go, how did I think I could stop my dad from hitting my mother? Or how did I think I could have said no to somebody that was violating me? How mm. did I think that I had anything to do and with anything that happened to me? So what it did is it gave me so much kindness and compassion for me as a human being, because for the first time I was able to step outside of myself and see objectively, even though she was my daughter, objectively, oh my gosh, she's so tiny. Or oh my goodness, she's so naive. Oh my goodness, she's such a good, she's got such a good heart. How did I ever think? And because I, I would beat myself up throughout the years, why didn't I confront my father? Or why didn't I stand mm-hmm. up to this bully, right? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I yell? No. Um, and so a lot of motherhood for me has been forgiveness. So that's the mm-hmm. big part of it for me. And then the second thing is children by nature teach us to remind us of what it was like when it was so much more simple, when we didn't live our, our life through our minds, but through our hearts, because they're naturally wired that way. So you asked me a question of, you know, why do a lot of women leaders feel guilt for not being the best mom? Because we're constantly balancing hours and time and memories and experiences. And one of the most humbling things that I've ever been taught with my daughter is I remember going all out for an experience and putting my heart and soul in it. And the thing she remembered is something I could have done in five minutes. And that's, that's the reality. I mean, that's the reality, right? It's like mm-hmm. you could spend thousands of dollars on a, a party and, you know, and make sure everyone shows up. And you saw me do that for my <laughs> 12th birthday. Like I want to I wanna make it the best experience. I want it to, for her. But to be honest, it was also for me because I was trying to compensate for my own misgivings, my own lack or my own fears for her not having a great birthday because of this pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, she remembers a TikTok video she got from her best friend. Or <laughs> no, but she remembers that I remembered she liked red velvet cake. You know, it was simple yeah. stuff. And so to me, I would say to the women out there listening, you will never know what your child remembers. What they will remember is the effort, the love, and the care that you put into it. That's all they care about. Mm-hmm. That's all they care about. And so just forgive yourself. We are going to make mistakes. I still continue to make mistakes. But my daughter watches me like a hawk. And so as I see herself push, I mean, as I see her push herself, Nikki, I smile. I'm like, I'm not like my mom. I wasn't a dragon mom. I didn't push her to get straight A's. But then she sees me constantly pushing myself. So (laughs) it knows to me, even though I think I'm not being my mother, I'm modeling Mm it. I'm modeling that constant pushing, pushing, pushing. So Mm -hmm. I've really taken my foot off the pedal a lot mm-hmm. uh, so I want to model what it's like to be okay with not being perfect and being okay with not having to do all the time. Well, that's the perfect segue into what I was going to ask you next, which is about perfectionism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, there's so much talked about with imposter syndrome and, you know, 80% of successful people have it. But regardless of success or not, the idea of aspiring to be perfect uh, in your own view or someone else's is simply just exhausting, <laughs> if nothing else. Um, what have you learned about it? I'm going to go back to an earlier uh, epiphany, awakening, whatever you want to call it, a lesson. My perfection I'm- Perfectionism comes from a fear, fear of uh, not being safe. It always does. 
And so my, a lot of the challenges I've had have to do with me wanting to find safety in my life. And so the way I do that is through control. And I that showed that control and taking care of everything. I, if, if it had to be done, I had to do it. If somebody needed something, I wanted to make sure they had it. I wanted to be the friend everyone called. I, I, at a party, I wanted to make everyone feel good. And while that seems noble and sometimes obnoxious, <laughs> I can imagine being on the other side of it. What people did not realize until recently, I've shared this with friends that have known me for years. That was me showing up as, hey, I need everything around me to be this way because I'm so scared of uncertainty. I'm so scared of the unknown. And that's why this pandemic is so incredibly potent for so many people. Whether or not you under, understand there's a bigger thing at play, it is waking people up. It mm-hmm. is creating an awareness that people haven't had before. And that's where perfectionism comes from. Because we're, we are trying to control something that is uncontrollable. We are trying to create certainty with things that, can be un, that, have, that are uncertain. And that's because of my of our feelings of our need as a child to feel safe and secure. That's where my, mine came from. Other people may, it may come for other reasons, but it's quite a common, a common feeling. Um, it's in Maslow's hierarchy of needs to feel safe. So for me, my perfectionism showed up as a controlled uh, tactic to try to find that peace externally and finding out that it's all shit. Pardon my French, but <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really a, it was a false way to view safety, Nikki, because there, there is no way to ever guarantee the external world. And having gone through my own recent trauma, I, I can tell you now that was as, as har- horrible of a, an experience to have, but as, as enlightening and as a beautiful gift I could have been given. Because for the first time, I realized, oh my God, I've been a good girl all my life and this still happened. So what am I holding on to? What am I trying to control? And it actually liberated me. And so, well, yeah. So I would say use this opportunity, this pandemic, as a, as a freedom call. Well, what's interesting in your own experience is that your pursuit of perfectionism had to do with seeking safety and certainty. Uh-huh. Um, and it makes so much sense now that the practice that liberated you or gave you the path is all about curiosity and uncertainty and just the pure experience of it. Yeah, exactly. And going back to my daily practice, one a person recently asked me, do you judge it? Do you have a, uh, the, one of the most, most common questions I get is, do you know what you're going to sketch ahead of time? And I say definitively, no, I leap into it with uncertainty unknown, but I leap into it with such curiosity that I'm excited about it. Even if the emotion is bad, like in, bad in that I'm feeling bad, right? Or mm-hmm. I'm feeling in, uncomfortable or, and so I, I just allow myself to leap into it with an unknown. And so that's why I've been able to have this relationship with uncertainty and it has diminished my anxiety. I still get ang- anxious, don't get me wrong. Uh, so when I'm flying and turbulence was the thing that caused my initial understanding of my own anxiety, I'm a better flyer now, but I still get that, that, those, you know, that heavy breathing and that the sweats when things get really turbulent, but at least I understand now where it's coming from. So I mm-hmm. like, I, I resign to it and I sit into it rather than fight it like I used to. Yeah. And, and I'm sure a lot of people right now are experiencing very similar feelings because we are experiencing turbulence of a really massive scale and it's a lot like being in an airplane with yeah. no pilot no compass no you know in in the midst of a perfect storm and you have no engines left and you have no control over that situation so the anxiety and the stress is tremendous in this moment um, but like you mentioned earlier it's also indicative of a far bigger shift yeah really what do you believe will change and what do you hope stays the same? Wow. I would say I'll start with what I hope stays the same. Humans by nature are resilient. We, if you look at our history, we suffering is just part, 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 part of the course of our lives. And some people are better equipped to survive than others, but we are all equipped to do it. 
It's just that we have to learn the tools and resources and the mindset to get through it. So what I hope stays is that that belief in humanity that we can get through things and our natural ability to actually tap into our creativity. So that's what's going to be really interesting in, in going back to the other side of this. What will I think will change is innovation, creativity, experimentation will be at the other side of this. You already see it now, like the working from home, right? As a great mm -hmm. example. I, I can imagine a lot of companies are reevaluating office, office spaces. They're reevaluating the products that they're creating. They're reevaluating how, you know, how people are communicating. It's just the nature of who we are as hum humans is that we adapt to the, the, the changing tides of the world. And so I, I believe there are going to be some great things that come out of this. Uh, technology has always had such a negative connotation for many people around connection, right? For mm -hmm. the first time, people are associating it with a positive connection. It's all about moderation, right? Um, so that's the other thing is I do think technology and our relationship to it is shifting. Uh, and that's really great. Uh, but I, I, would, I would venture to say the thing that I think will change is people's relationship with the kind of, I, this came out of, for a lot of people, it was very blindsiding. I, I think a lot of people were not, not only not expecting it, but to be experiencing it at such a global level. It, how could that not change you? Mm -hmm. So I do believe that people will understand that, what I hope they will understand is the duality of how things are at play. You know, I keep thinking about the yin and yang symbol, Nikki, and mm -hmm. we hear the word isolation, physical, you know, social distancing. But at the flip side, I'm seeing people connect more, uh, having more meaningful conversations. People that are going to the grocery stores are, are giving each other eye contact in a way that they probably didn't before. People are appreciating the restaurants they would go to, the food that they would eat. Uh, the, you know, we're starting to appreciate the simple things mm -hmm. on the flip of it. And so this is, it's just the duality of everything happening is so fascinating to me. Um, and it's really going to come down to, what I hope is people leveling up their mindset, their mentality around what's happening. This, is a, this isn't happening to any of us. It is happening for us. And that word for is such an important part. The question is, how is it happening for you? Mm -hmm. And even if it's really dark right now and you do not see any answer to that question and you're probably cursing me right now to say that, <laughs> this isn't a spiritual woo-woo thing. This is everything that we go through. We, will, we always get to the other side of it and we can reflect back and go, oh, I see. That's why that happened. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that was really an important part of this, and this, is the, this may be a more woo-woo part of it, is that the thing about uh, life is as we go through life, some lessons we're doomed to learn over and over again, right? And I do believe- Especially the ones you refuse to learn are the ones <laughs> that keep showing up yeah, <laughs> until yeah. you finally accept it and you learn it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's happening on a global level. What happens to us as an individual level? I, I believe the world has been trying to tell us that Mother Earth is in pain. Uh, the, I think the world has been trying to tell us that the systems are broken, whether that's health and education and homelessness, what all, whatever the, you know, the pandemic issues we face as, an, as a humanity, the world has been telling us there's been problems, but we keep on ignoring it. And then things like this happen. And here's the, here's the, here's the thing, Nikki, if we don't learn from this, it will only get bigger. Mm -hmm. Let's not let it get bigger. Let's learn from this as a collective. Let's learn from it individually and let's shift the narrative because the world is only going to continue to surface and manifest the thing that we continue to avoid. So going back, my journey is individual, but it is a macro. It's a micro view of the macro problem. If we continue to avoid things, it will come back to haunt us. So let's not do that. Yeah, it's um, don't wa waste a you know crisis. It's uh, in every crisis there is an opportunity. There is something to learn from it. There's something to gain from it. Uh, the yeah. wisdom and the uh, even the tools sometimes that come out of that kind of um, you know challenge that you're experiencing. Um, so being able to just simply accept it and yeah. recognize what you can learn from it. Uh, especially as an individual, you know, to be, to let go of such a precious experience um, yeah. that we're having, like you said, both individually and collectively at the same time um, for everyone, you know, that 
I've been connecting with. There's so much talk about fear and despair, but at the same time, there's so much opportunity for reinvention to let go of the things that aren't serving us anymore or to just reset, take this opportunity to reset and leap into the things that you perhaps have just been craving all your life and you just didn't know how to get there. And I hope that what we, we just said just now in the last five minutes serves as a hope, a beacon of hope. Because if you're in the despair right now, if you're in the darkness, that's all we can offer people at this point is hope. Because when you're in it, the last thing you, it's really hard because I still remember, and I know you can remember what it was like to be in that moment mm-hmm. you Can't see beyond the fog. You are just so in it. And so as you're listening and if you're in it, just have hope that there is another side to this and we're, we're promising you that, but that promise can only be achieved and realized if you believe in it. And so I ask you to believe that there is something you will learn from all this, even if at this moment you can't see it. Yeah, because your faith just has to be bigger than the fear you're feeling right now. Exactly. And that faith, whether you draw uh, upon that from a higher power or your love for your loved ones or something within yourself or something even like a daily practice uh, can do that. I know for me in my experience with uh, really deep trauma, it was in that moment of darkness, it's almost impossible to make sense of anything. There's almost a paralytic feeling. Uh, almost a numbness at a certain yeah. point and then eventually you start to feel again and it's almost a welcome relief to feel things even if those feelings are scary <laughs> oh my God, because you start a- feeling at least again and then it takes uh, you know you have to develop tools and techniques that are right for you that help you work through that instead of avoiding it yeah and actually step through that to get you know to evolve into the next version of yourself as opposed to saying i got past it or i got over it you don't get over it you just evolve into the next version of yourself and who you are becoming from that point on is what you have to celebrate but the tools are so key in that period the practice is something that creates that um greater degree of faith yeah and that's the best way to come full circle with the practice of of sketching and why it's so powerful it touches on every single thing we talked about today because when you are so you pick up a pen this is this simple i i started with a sketchbook but you can start with a piece of paper you know a, a scrap you know napkin whatever you need just don't overthink it just try it and i ask you to try it on for a few days at least a week or two just to get into the habit of it but you pick up a pen and don't focus on what you're doing, focus on what you're thinking and how you're feeling more importantly. And so if you are at that point where you're feeling numb, right? Remember that feeling. And I use a simple technique, like if you can think of drawing grass, they call it hashing, which is just like these little tick marks, like you're Mm -hmm. counting. Just do that technique. It's very simple. You don't need to be an artist to do it and just start to hash and do these little grass pieces or hashes or ticks. And as you're doing it, and I'm actually doing my hands moving as I'm talking to you, as I'm allowing my hands to do that, my body is moving, so it's expressing that emotion, but I'm also not thinking about what I'm doing. So it's going to look like a doodle at first. We kind of do Mm -hmm. it naturally in in meetings sometimes where we were kind of Mm -hmm. using our our hands. But the, the difference is when you first start, it will be like doodles where you're kind of meditating into it, flowing into it. And that's a beautiful place to be. If you can get to that place, that's great. However, the transformative part or the part that I would consider the healing part of this practice is when you can allow yourself to sit in the discomfort, the the emotion, and push past the flow, push past the meditation. Because if you look at coloring books, for example, right? It's a huge movement. It's awesome that people have a practice where they can color in books and it gets Mm -hmm. them in a really relaxed state what it can do is numb you. It's what you were talking about. It can get you at a point where I'm like, ah, oh, I feel better. But you haven't necessarily allowed yourself to fully feel those uncomfortable emotions. Mm-hmm. So I consider meditation and flow as a first step into my practice. It is the, it, you have to go through that, that step. So I want people to get into flow and meditation. But once you've, you've mastered that feeling, and that could last days or weeks, then I want you to push past it and then start to look at what you're doing and then listen to what you're thinking, and then you'll find that your hand will naturally move to different parts of the page. It'll want to 
it'll want to change because you're playing. But you won't go to that second step until you get into the flow state. So the very first thing I encourage people to do is meditate and, and kind of doodle through their um, feelings. And then you'll get past the doodling and, and really connect to the expression of it um, in the latter part of it. But start with just doing it and not overthinking what you're doing and then go from there. Even if it ends up looking like your favorite body part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because it, it, it does. It does look like, it can look like scribbles. It could look like, um, the most common thing I see when I get, you know, when I try to help people through it is it, it looks like something a three-year-old would do when they're not thinking about what anyone thinks. And I, mm-hmm. I, I always applaud them because I'm like, oh, that's perfect. That's exactly how I want you to feel because nobody's going to look at it. Nobody cares what it looks like because you're not, you don't need to show it to the world. This is for you. Mm-hmm. But those scribbles will eventually turn into um, meaningful lines, meaningful lines that connect to an, an emotion you're not expressing. It, it, ha- it naturally happens, but it happens for different people. And so I, I am working on prompts and guides for this to help people more definitively, but that's just a quick way for me to kind of key, key things up. And then you can follow me on Instagram, but I, I sometimes caution people to do that because I'm at almost 1100 days into it, Nikki. Can you believe that? Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, you're going to drop into a, it'd be like dropping into a professional athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for far too long, but if you want to truly see the authentic start to my, my journey, you should go to my very first postings. Um, and unfortunately, Instagram does not make that easy. But you will see the very, a huge difference in my sketches from when I started to where I am today. Well, what I love about this is um, just the simplicity of the practice that, you know, you can start anywhere and any kind of creative expression, but this is a great way to just get started with something. And I think ultimately it's about the daily ritual that you set for yourself that um, gives you a way to develop your mindset and just find that um, emotional, you know, outlet and the resilience and the wisdom that comes out of it. Um, yeah, and, and I would say time boxing is important too. I wanted to make sure I added that. I'd start with 30 minutes if you only have 15 because the perfectionism will kick in. You oh, will, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, if you are naturally a perfectionist or, again, academically or performance-oriented, you want to perfect it because you will, the inner critic will try to make it look good. And so your ability to step away from something is equally as powerful of healing and transformation as anything else, because you're learning to let go and learning to step away when your entire body wants to finish it is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it is, it is a metaphor for life. Being just to- leaving something incomplete and, and not trying to and get it. it. Yeah, yeah, just accept it as it is. Yeah. Well, Sheila, this has been um, so incredibly special, first of all, for me. And, uh, you know, just the honor of having this conversation about life and love and light. And uh, um, I know this is going to be so healing for so many people that hear it, not just right now, but, you know, for forever, as long as they have, uh, you know, they're able to learn from this experience and find uh, healing in some of the um, things you have shared and not only your own journey and evolution, but also how that is available to every single person. So I'm excited for our audience to uh, learn from this, to pick up the practice of uh, you know, a daily ritual, but especially if they can pick up sketching. I want to offer that to your audience. Please uh, do not hesitate to reach out to me directly, and I can give you more, more uh, definitive tools and certainly guidance if you want to leap into the practice. I, I want to thank you, Nikki, for giving me this platform to share my story, but also incredibly excited for you and Monica to, to have this place where people can share their stories in the hope to help people. So if there's any, if there's any way that we've been able to do that for people today, I am so grateful. So thank you. You're very welcome. It was truly an honor to have you and um, the contribution, not just in who you are and who you are continuing to become is in itself the inspiration for so many people out there. So Um, I honor you for that and uh, can't wait to have you on the show again Um, and maybe we'll do a whole different kind of conversation next time (laughs) 
Thanks for listening. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. Visit IamBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources referenced in this episode. And be sure to take the quiz on the website. Your score will tell you where you are, what helps you gain momentum, and what holds you back. You'll also get a free guide with cutting-edge career strategies. We'd also love to hear from you. Share your comments and topic suggestions on IamBeyondBarriers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.